Tonight, I am asking you to do something for our mission. I don't ask this a lot of you, but I am tonight. I want you at 6 o'clock tonight to go over to Lake Avenue Congregational. It's right there on the freeway at, um, on Lake right there. And we're going to gather with five other churches, get there a little early. Uh, Kenny Ulmer's coming at Faithful Central. Their choirs, like 250 people, Shepherd of the Hills and other churches, uh, Hispanic Latino churches, and we're coming together to raise money for Haiti for our church down there. You know, they just got hit with a storm in this church that was destroyed in the earthquake. They had this tent, and it was just blown down for the thousand of them. Stuff. These poor people are just getting hammered right and left. But we're coming together to raise funds for that and also to show this city that we are united together. Fascinating. Why do we have such little impact on this culture? A lot of people think because the church isn't hip enough. And if you were going to address the church for today and to get the message out, this may not be the company you'd want to hire. Watch this. Thank you, Pastor, for letting us interrupt your service. Hi, I'm George Wellerman of the Wellerman Agency, and this is my head of development, Nancy Gale. Hi there. We're a marketing and image consulting firm that specializes in improving brand awareness. Now, by that I mean if you hate peanut butter, we make you love it. If you think Tom Cruise is crazy, we make crazy hot. <laughs> <laughs> you see, the church is no longer the leader in arts, in politics, in social standards. So it's safe to say that Christianity is a brand that's in trouble. You need to speak the language of your audience, many of whom honestly don't want what you're selling. I mean, let's face it, you didn't know you wanted Diet Cherry Cola with Lime, with Splenda, with Vitamin Boost until we told you. It's true. Let's focus on the worship thing, huh? I mean, robes, we're not monks here. <laughs> what if your choir looked like this? Hey. Or take this to this. Wow. Or this, to this. <laughs> See, that's just the tip of the iceberg. We think that you ought to reconsider updating all of your product slogans, like the big one. Jesus died for your sins. Wow, that is a lot of harsh information thrown at the consumer all at once. Mm -hmm. <laughs> First of all, Jesus, don't know the guy, need to establish a connection with him. Died? Death is a downer unless you are making a Lifetime Movie of the Week. Yeah, and just telling people that they're full of sin, that's just too direct. I mean, we like the idea. You've got to show the dirty laundry to sell the soap. Yes, but using market-friendly language. I mean, let's try Jesus. He makes things clean. Oh. See, no need to spell it out. Mm -mm. Make people feel uncomfortable. Just get the wheels turning. Hey, I like clean things. <gasps> what kinds of things does Jesus make clean? How does he make them clean? Is he cheap or expensive? How do I get Jesus in my home? <laughs> and while we're talking about him, let's take a look at your spokesman. Mm. Oh, my. I mean, look at that hair. Mm. That beard. Mm -mm. Let's get real, people. Research has shown that beards scare children. <laughs> let's just clean him up a little bit. 
Let's try a couple different hairstyles. Oh. That's nice. Ooh. What if we make that beard a goatee? Ah, look at that. Yeah. Add some sideburns. Whoa. Or a soul patch. <gasps> soul <laughs> patch. <laughs> yes. Wow. Synergy. And why saddle yourself with the name Jesus? What about J Lord? He's all good. All good. Huh? <laughs> Word. See, J-Lord is our youth brand for the Son of God. He's hip, he's fun, he's accessible. He hangs out at Starbucks and the Apple Store. Oh, yeah, don't dwell on all that heavy-duty stuff like the sin and the sacrifice and the eternal soul business. Focus on the feel-good. Make yourselves easy to like. Church, it's nice to be nice and feel nice. Hey, praise J-Lord. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you have any questions about our services, you can text us or tweet us or Google our blog. Google our blog. Can you say that in church? I don't know. <laughs> you know what? It's time to get relevant. It's time to merge with the culture. Trust us. When we get done with the Christian faith, you won't even recognize it. Amen. The answer to transforming a culture and engaging it is not about being hipper or getting the right language. Obviously, you have to speak the language they speak. Ironically, the answer, I believe, is to have the church work together. America is not the most religious nation on the planet. As far as standards, it's certainly, and only God can say what is the greatest country. And by the way, I am an unabashed, proudest punch, flag-waving American. I think this is a great country. I totally do. But... It is not the most religious. When asked, is religion important in your daily life, 100% of Egyptians said yes. 99% of Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, Indonesia, and even the Congo. In a new book, Sacred and Secular Researcher Ronald Englehart points out that as secularism rises, conservative religion grows faster because of the hollowness and the shallowness of a secular worldview, an agnostic or atheist that you're here by random chance and you're gonna die into an unknown infinity into nothingness. But religion says, no, that's not so. And of course, we understand the great truth of why God has created us and for what purposes. How can you have a country as large as this, 81% of Americans say they are Christian, whatever that means. That's 245 million people. Throw half of them out for being flakes or confused, you still have one of the largest Christian gatherings on the planet. By the way, the other faiths, 1% of Americans are Jewish, 1% is Muslim, 4% are agnostic or atheist. This is great. 12% said they don't know. <laughs> what are you? I don't know. I don't know. But if you have 81%, how can we have this, that many people at worship? 41% of Americans say they go to worship at least weekly. It's probably closer to 30%. But how can you have that and have this society? The answer is simple. The body of Christ has a horrible circulatory disease. We are so detached from each other, and therefore the head, that we are completely cut off from the power that God wants to use in us. The more, and the reason we are gathering, and why I spend so much time and effort in trying to get churches to work together. And I don't mean meeting under the same roof, not the same style of worship, not believing outside of the core tenets of the Christian faith, but it was disagreeing on a lot of things, but I mean the relationship because it is so worth it. When David said, 
how good it is when people live in unity. And then he uses the imagery of Aaron being anointed like oil on his, when he was set aside. And then even the environment, like the dew, the life-giving water on Mount Hermon. He said, there God commands a blessing. He commands it. And when you and I learn to live together, here as a church, a house of faith, but also when the body of Christ in L.A. learns to live together, he commands a blessing. And the answer is because it's all a part of salvation. You may have heard a hundred sermons on the unity of the church. You don't create the unity of the church because it's already there. It's a part of salvation. Salvation was initiated by God. You didn't talk Jesus into loving you. He loved you and me before we ever were aware of it. Same thing with unity. You don't need to talk him into it. Second of all, it's sustained by God. We don't live between Calvary and Pentecost. Forgiven but not empowered. But unity is the same way. It's not for us to just kind of everybody hug and sing kumbaya around the fire and everything's fine. But by letting the Holy Spirit create the unity. And the third thing is salvation will be completed by God. Not by us. The perseverance of the saints, as Calvin said, that you and I are going to be saved in the glorious new bodies and the real adventure that is waiting. And we just simply have to, likewise with this unity, let the Lord live it out. All you have to do is receive it. Now, if you think receiving is passive, you go watch a couple tight ends play in the NFL today. Receiving can be a very active behavior. And receiving this unity means you and I take the time and effort to do that. Well, if you've got your Bible, turn with me back over. Let's real quickly look at 1 Corinthians 12 as Paul is writing, and he uses this beautiful imagery of the body of Christ living together. In 1 Corinthians 3, we don't have time to look at. As we're gathered here together, and those of you at 6 o'clock tonight that are watching by this, as you're sitting in here, that Paul is telling the church at Corinth that he's telling them First of all, they say, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul, I'm of Peter. He says, what are you talking about? Then he says something, and here the Catholic Church, I think, is wrong in how they interpret. They think suicide is an unforgivable sin because it says whoever the, destroys the body, the Lord will destroy. But he's talking about the body of Christ there. And then he turns and he comes back to this theme in the 12th chapter. For just as one body is one and has many members, all the members of the body through many are one, so it is with Christ. Now, that word melee, member, it's too bad this word's been hijacked like member of a country club or member of a Democratic Republican Party. It means organ. And an organ is something that is very vital to the body. But an organ really looks bad on its own on the sidewalk. If you go walking out here and see a kidney, it's going to gross you out. I told you before, if I was up here chewing my fingernails because I was nervous, you'd say, well, that's really uncouth, but he's nervous. If I had clipped my fingernails a month ago and brought them out so that I could chew them when I was nervous, <laughs> you would say, he's really twisted. Why? Still my fingernails. And when you find a hair in your food, and sometimes that has more protein than the meal you're eating, <laughs> anything that leaves the body becomes vulgar. And we're going to stop with the illustrations right there. <laughs> you living as a Lone Ranger Christian is as disgusting to God as finding a hair in your food. You were wired to be in relationship. 
You were wired to be in the church. And the church is wired to be connected to the rest of the body of Christ. And we are so bad at this. That's why there's great power. And again, I'm not talking about a bureaucracy or an institution. I'm not saying the same kind of worship services or even, I said, even in minor beliefs. But it's a thing of the heart. Paul goes on, look at verse 14. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot would say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And he goes into this illustration that the, the organs that we cover that we think are lesser, we give more honor to. You were made, and I think that he's speaking here not just of the individual people at Corinth. And by the way, Corinth is a huge city. They're not meeting at one place. There are many different churches that are gathered together. But he considers them one. And one of the things that, that we have to remember is, yes, Aquinas said it beautifully. He's so brilliant. Love the truth, but never forget the truth of love. The great scholar of the church in the Middle Ages, as he was saying, this brilliant mind of his, love the truth, yes, stand for the truth, but do not ever forget the truth of love. That even when people don't agree with you, you don't have a common understanding of that, that is the truth that is released in that way. And so as we work together, with these other churches and ministries. And again, it's tough going. Do you know why? Because Christians are so obnoxious. We're just sinners saved by God's grace, and some of us are barely saved. And we're in this whole process of sanctifying. But what we don't want to have is disconnections. When Carolyn was in a bad accident and she was losing nerve damage and they had to do spinal surgery because if the nerve is not firing to certain organs or a limb, it shrivels up. If you clamp off your circulatory system to an organ, it shrivels and dies. And we are a shriveled shell. 200 million Christians, and we have this culture because we're so disconnected from each other. The most powerful thing on the face of the earth is when you have churches work together. And the most difficult thing on the face of the earth is getting churches to work together because we're so competitive. And because we disagree on a lot of things in those ways. But he is saying this unity as we come together, we discover things. Any of you that have Psych 101, you've heard of maybe the Joe Hari window? Because it was invented by a guy named Joe and Harry, so they called it the Joe Hari window. And it's got on a get four quadrants, axis, what's known to me, what's known to others. You have a public self. You know this about you, and others know about you. Then you have a secret self. You know things about you that nobody else knows. Then you have what's called a blind self. Other people know things about you that you don't see in yourself. But the real wonder is the undiscovered self, unknown to you and unknown to others. And here is where the Holy Spirit is the great discovery. And why when you're in a small group or when you're in worship or men, why we getting together, ladies with yours, or why we get with other churches. When's the last time a church complimented another church on a gift set. Who said we have to be omnicompetent in everything in each local church? What if we actually started to learn and to share? You be strong in that, we'll be strong in this. I mean, that's what's gonna transform things. We all need a safe room. You know the expense of surgery 
It's because it's a sterile environment. Anything you use, you gotta go through this process of sterilizing it or you throw it out. That's the real expensive surgery. Because when you're opened up, you get an infection. That's what they're always fighting. We need a safe place, a clean room where we can be open and not judged by voices of others or Satan or memory in the past or accusations. And churches need that as well. And we need a place to share. Americans' number one desire for a friendship is confidentiality. Isn't that amazing? To be able to just simply be yourself, share whatever's on your heart, and that person will listen and care for you. That's true church to church. And we pastors are so guilty, we're an insecure lot, of acting like we're in competition rather than completing each other. You ever go to a retreat and everybody gets all excited and moved by the Spirit, and so they go and they say, let's confess our sins and pray for each other, and three pastors were on a retreat together, and the one said, let's just, let's pray for each other. No more hiding behind our robes. Let's be ourselves. And one pastor said, well, I got to admit, I got a problem with drinking a lot. Nobody knows that. And the other one said, how about you? And the second one said, yeah, I got a real problem with money, and I've been stealing from the collection plate. Nobody knows that. And the third one said, well, I got a real problem with gossip, and I can't wait to get out of here. (laughs) But the idea that as we can come together and share whatever we're in this process of being saved. There, you don't evangelize a city. You keep hearing me say this. You congregationalize it. And we're trying to start new congregations. And I think God loves all flavors of worship. And he loves all styles and emphases. Isaiah said, your worship is so polished and so perfect. And God said, it sickens me. Every time you sing to me, these people praise me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He said, all your beautiful feasts that you polish and spend so much money on, they gross me out because you don't love me. It's not the style of worship. It's the thing of heart. And if you're going to love the Lord, you're going to love his church. That's brothers and sisters just like you and I. And that's one of the things I so appreciate about Bel Air. I only one time not only did a funeral for someone who was killed by friendly fire, You know, when you lose a loved one like Dale, thinking to go to be with the Lord young and and others that have been lost, and it's just that whole, but when you bury, and I've had several people who have died in battle before, and in war, you know the craziness of it in these brave young men and women that are dying for their country, but there's something about being killed by your own fire that they never get over. You expect to be killed by the enemy. You don't expect to be killed by your own in the chaos of the battlefield. And there's something about when you come into the church, when you get sucker punched by the people that say they love you, even though you know they're human and they've got problems, it's really hard to get over. And one of the ways, Bel Air, that we're gonna change the city, it's gonna take the whole church for the whole city, is by us affirming and blessing other churches and praying for them to be racked and packed and stacked and financially solid and preaching Christ. That's part of our call in our life. Self-centeredness is never in your self-interest. You have self-interest, you're supposed to. You're supposed to love yourself. And the way you love yourself is not by being self-centered. That's collapsing in on yourself. And the whole story of redemption God's plan of salvation. God initiated it, and when Adam and Eve, when they rebelled against God, they became slaves of themselves, and they fell into the lower laws, and sin means death, and death simply is another code word for separation. First they were separated from God, then they started to blame each other, then they were separated from the world, thorns and thistles from the sweat of your brow, 
And finally, someday, your spirit is going to leave your body, and that's called physical death. But God would not leave us there, and he reached out, and he began the thing of reconciliation and redemption, and he made peace with Christ now, and we're forgiven. And that someday, and we can learn to start having relationships and loving each other, people who we don't agree with on everything. And someday, we're going to be given the perfect bodies, and you're going to be given a spirit, and for all eternity, the real adventure will begin. And we don't have to wait for that moment to start living it now. As Karl Barth said, we are the already but the not yet. We're already forgiven, but we're not yet totally there. Fulfillment without consummation, George Ladd said. Christ fulfilled everything, but the kingdom of God is not here. Is why you prayed at the beginning of the service. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth like it is in heaven. Because that's a prayer, and God is doing that with you and I. And this is an incredible time to be alive. God starts, you don't need to talk him into unity. God will bring us together. We don't need to force it, pump up love, joy, peace, you know, and fake it. And God will, when we are finally together, and for all glory, and I think the greatest church the world has ever seen is in front of us. I totally believe this. I think God is going to do things that he has never done before because the days will be so evil and so tough. And we might be on the front end of seeing what he's about to do. It is exploding around the world, the church is. God, I think, is getting ready. I think the gun lap has gone off. I think he might return in our lifetime. I've been wrong two other times, so I might be wrong in that, but no one knows. No one knows. Christ said he didn't even know, but we're seeing God do a new kind of move. There's a pessimism out there compared to the glorious hope of the truth of the gospel. And by the way, the new, I keep bringing this up because people keep asking, there's, there's a new atheist club out there and you know, atheists are printing and writing a lot. And by the way, most of that atheism is baby atheism. You want good atheism, read Voltaire. He will depress you in a nanosecond. I mean, he's a good writer there. But all this sense of this pessimism. H.G. Wells thought humankind was going to destroy itself. He said, quote, man began in a cave hiding behind a rock as a windbreak and will breathe its last in the disease-soaked ruins of some slum, unquote. We started out in a cave just hiding from the wind and all of civilization is going to end in a diseased, soak, slum, and life will have had no meaning. Compared to the gospel, the good news, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believed would never perish, but have everlasting life. That we are to love each other and to care for people. And that's why we gather together tonight with these other churches. And that's why you're in a small group. Someone can point out stuff and love you and all the gifts and skills that you have that you don't even realize that the Lord is doing new stuff in you. Well, Paul wrote this, that we are one body. The Roman poet Ovid wrote this. Uedo melior proboc deterio sequor in Latin. He said, I see the good course and I choose the worse one. He's wondering, why do I do that? The whole Jekyll and Hyde theme. Hamlet, Othello by Shakespeare, the green-eyed monster of jealousy raises its ugly head. Why do I have this old nature and new nature? The Navajo tribesmen used to say that there is a white dog and a black dog fighting inside of me, and whichever one wins is the one whom I feed. Paul says, I find within me this fight. My inner being delights in the Lord, but my outer being serves the flesh. Who will save me from this body of destruction and then he explodes. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory in Christ Jesus.
That's the one who is going to bring this unity, and all you and I need to be open for him to do it. How much money and time have we spent on the Great Commission going to all the world to make disciples? Good thing. How little money have we spent, how little time have we spent in trying to bring about the unity of the body? The one thing Jesus prays in his great high priestly prayer in John 17 before the crucifixion. Father, I've glorified thee on the earth. Glorify now me. And I pray for them, the rest of the prayer, that they may be one as we are one, that the world may know that thou didst send me. Jesus said the world has a right to judge whether Jesus is who he is on the basis of how you and I love each other. And that includes church to church. I don't know how we'll do it, but I know there is enough resources in this city right now to make this the greatest city for Christ, flat out. Totally believe it. There's enough food in this city that no one has to go to bed hungry. Do you know how much food will be thrown out of restaurants because of health laws? And I'm into health laws, by the way. But there's got to be some way. How many rooms are air-conditioned tonight or warmed in the winter that are empty rooms, and we have 80,000 people that are homeless? The resources are here. We're just horrible at harnessing them. And do you know how many Christians there are in L.A.? Do you know some of the largest, strongest churches in America are not in the Bible Belt? They're in Southern California right here. And once we learn how to work together, not in everything, but in some things. T.J. was talking about uh, UCLA beating Texas, which is actually a sign of the end times. But as uh, <laughs> that... Any of you from there know that guy named Ira Yates? He was uh, born in the late 1800s. His father was killed in a gunfight in Texas, and he moved to Crockett County. And he got a little farm and a few head of cattle, and he had a little grocery store. And he made what he said, quote, darn good money, $2,000 a month. And he bought this other field that he thought he could turn to a farm, but it was all slushed over, and it was no good. And a gentleman by the name of Levi Smith kept coming to him saying, could he do this new Texas oil drilling thing? And he said, no, I need that. I don't want you wrecking that. And he says, well, just let me drill in about five or ten spots. Anything we find, we'll keep 10%. You get 90. Ira Yates said no for several years. And finally he said, oh, go ahead, because he couldn't get anything to grow there. On October the 8th, 1926, on the first day, it brought forth 80,000 barrels of oil. And it would every day for the next 30 years. One of the largest finds in Texas. He was sitting on it, and some guy said, let me have a shot. We've got the Christians here. We just need to let the Holy Spirit connect us together. How good it is when brothers dwell in unity. God commands a blessing. And what God commands, God gets. Amen? Let's pray, shall we? Father, I thank you for this great gift of the church. And God, I thank you that you wouldn't let broken people like us just live on our own, trying to play Lone Ranger Christian. And Lord, I pray you'd give us the balm of Gilead, the Holy Spirit, to come over the frictions and the wounds and the cuts that we give to each other. God, I thank you that as we become members of your body, Lord, that we, you are, we are so precious to you, Lord. May we become precious to each other. And now, Lord, as we come with our tithes and our offerings, what a privilege to give to you, Lord. Help us to raise the money to help our brothers and sisters in Haiti, downtown, and around the world. Thank you we are so spoiled. Thank you for the church. Thank you for its head. For his sake we pray. Amen.